This is a conversation with Judge Vonderby, a family law judge who has 250,000 subscribers on YouTube. We've talked about her career in the legal system, tax and family law, YouTube growth strategy, and her personal election campaign. We've also talked about the psychology of serial killers, the Tinder swindler, and particularly their fans and their motives. Check it out, you'll like it. The show revolves around child support, and mm -hmm. that's like a really hot topic right now. Yeah. Um, well, it's been kind of a hot topic. And then, you know, with everything going on with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, people have been mm. asking questions about what is to come ah. next with child support. So it's really interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's, a very, that's a very good um Thank you. That's a very good keyword because I forgot about the Roe v. Wade thing. Well, of course, I'm European and <laughs> it's not, it's not a, it's not very uh, a big thing in, uh, yeah, in Europe. Um, but, but you, as far as I understand about the whole Roe v. Wade thing, I don't, I did not really understand why such, why there's such a big discussion about it because you still have like a lot of states that allow abortion. To my knowledge, it's it's like basically, to my knowledge, it's just like you can, like like a state can individually decide on those topics. So why is it like a big deal to be able, you know, to, to if you can choose a state where you can do it, why is it still a big deal in your opinion? Well, because there is no protections under the law per se. You know, when you're talking about um, constitutional rights and everything like that. There is not there with the overturning. There's nothing that actually protects abortion rights any longer. Is the states can make a choice to still say that ad abortions are acceptable or not. But I mean, you you pretty much would have to leave the state that you're in, especially if you're in a state mm -hmm. like Texas, right? Um, Texas does not recognize abortions. Literally after Roe v. Wade was overturned, our attorney general made it very clear that abortions in Texas were illegal. So if mm -hmm. you are a Texas resident and let's say abortions are al allowed in Ohio or something, you have to drive across states to even make that happen. So mm -hmm. it's it's one of those things where you have to make the sacrifice to do it. Um, as I understand it, there is somewhat of a grace period right now for abortions to be performed. Um, but it, it'll be really interesting to see how this impacts the child support situation mm -hmm. because when a child is born, the obligation, well, actually, the obligation for child support starts upon conception. Um, yeah. You, people ah. just don't really get that. They don't really go that far back because by the time you get to court, the child is already born. But it really starts from the time that a child is conceived because a woman is entitled to back child support from the day that that child was born, um, if it's a new child. And they're also entitled to um, half of the reimbursement for the medical expenses while the woman mm. was pregnant. So it's just a lot of implications that I'm pretty sure will bring interesting discussion in the Texas legislature and around the world. So I'm interested in seeing how that turns out. Oh, yeah, it will very much affect your daily practice, right? 
Oh, yeah. Well, I don't practice law anymore um, because as of January the 1st, 2023, I'll be taking the bench as a family court judge. So I will hear mm -hmm. about all child support cases, all custody cases and everything like that. But I do believe that something interesting is going to happen in the legislation um, in family law in particular the legislative years every odd year so next year in 2023 we'll see what changes come about and what kind of changes do you expect like your best well guess? if i had to guess i would say that there are going to be some changes with the way custody arrangements are done we just had mm. some changes made in 2021 but i can see additional changes being made um probably more requirements or restrictions in regards to child support it's always a coin toss there because i would like to see some things change um in regard to the child support laws but it's just a matter if the legislation is going to change that because not enough people really make noise about child support to their local government or their state government. You normally hear about child support situations and the complaints on social media, which is not beneficial at all. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you think social media influences uh, that situation at all, except for like having people heated, being heated? It, it really depends on the context, right? Because we've seen social media make um, state reps and everything like that do certain things, make certain choices, whether it's the right one or they made a wrong one and they changed that. Um, so I can see it that way, but I can also see it as just, you know, heated discussions that go viral. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes people tend to discuss stuff on social media that they don't really know the facts and the details about mm -hmm. and i and i honestly don't don't really know much about abortions and things like that and abortion laws i don't even know like from from when it's legal to do that or don't do that anymore is there like uh is is there like like as of now is can you can you tell me what how for how long it's legal to abort a child or is it like fr from like how many weeks or, or months or so after conception as, as far as i know right now with um and i'm referring to it as a grace period that's not the mm. term that's actually been given to it it's just it's been understood that it's for a temporary time we don't necessarily know what's going to happen because i know the other day um The um, was it the Senate? I believe it was the Senate, you know, that said that there will be some abortion protections. But as you know, we have mm -hmm. to go through the House, too. So um, mm. or I may have said that wrong. Could have been the House and has to go to the Senate. Either way, mm. there was a bill that came to the floor about protections for abortions right now in Texas. I believe it's is it 15 weeks? Or it may be a little less than that. Mm. It's not a lot of time um, when you think about it, because every four weeks can be considered a month. So, mm. you know, you're talking about if it's 15 weeks, what's that, three months or so? So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, three and a half gotta, months. Yeah, got to make that decision quickly, right? 
Yeah, and that's the scary part because if you're in Texas and you have this amount of time to get it done and you try to go to another state, you have to plan, make arrangements, all of those types of deal. Mm. So you don't know if you're going to actually fall within that time frame or be beyond it where you cannot get the abortion. But um, adoption is a viable option as well. I actually Mm. love doing adoptions when I was an attorney. It was like the highlight of my legal practice. I see. And do do you, do you think people, is there a lot of people who are like happy that they did not decide for abortion? Have you seen that? Or do you feel like everyone would have loved, would have preferred the abortion? Like, uh, re- as a best guess. It really depends on who you're talking to. You know, I've heard people say that not going through an, an abortion was the best thing that happened to them because their child is this and that and how much they love their kids or something like that. But then I've also heard people say it was the best thing to do in that situation, especially those women who may have been molested or raped, mm, yeah. um, a situation like that. So. Yeah, it it just really depends on the person that is giving you the information. Mm. Yeah, it's very understandable that if a woman has been raped or anything like that, that she doesn't have to carry like the the memory of it like in a living form. I I can, yeah, understand that very well. And um, if I may ask, what why do you um, like? Why do you want to stop being a lawyer and start being a judge? Is that that's something thing you decided for, right? Yes. Well, how did it happen and why? Oh, well, the short story was while I was a practicing attorney, the judge that was in this particular court, she filed a grievance on me. Well, in Texas law, a grievance is a complaint that you send to the state And it's pretty much telling the state that this person does not need to be an attorney. Mm. It was completely frivolous. Um, It ended up getting dismissed. So for me, the only way to ensure that what happened to me did not happen to another attorney was to run against her. Because had I not run against Mm. her, she would have automatically won. And being a judge was always something I wanted to do. I definitely saw it later on in my future. Not necessarily anything that I saw now, but the opportunity was available and I took Mm -hmm. it. I won the primary election on March the 1st, and Mm -hmm. I don't have an opponent in the November election. So I'm considered right now judge elect. And then after the election in November, when I win, because I'm the only person on the ballot, I will then be um, the judge of that court. I just won't take the bench until January 1st because her term Mm -hmm. does not expire until December 31st. Oh, congratulations. That sounds very cool. That's yeah, great. it was cool. So, it, yeah, campaigning was challenging. <laughs> okay. So what what did you have to do to actually campaign for being a judge? That is an excellent question. Um, I'm one of those really um, heavy-duty marketing type people. So I had uh-huh. billboards. I had a car that was wrapped with my face on it. I mean... Nice. 
the little push cards that you give people and tell them to vote for you with your picture on it. My social media. I mean, I literally was everywhere. You cannot go anywhere without seeing my face. My colors were purple and white. So all of my marketing was purple and white, purple and white, because I also believe a big deal with marketing is consistency. So Mm. I just stay consistent with all of that. Um, You got to fundraise, raise money. So I, I ran a fundraiser on social media. I ran fundraisers in person. Um, and all I raised almost $70,000, which is pretty good, especially for someone running for the first time. So, yeah, that's really I, I amazing. A lot. Thank you. That's really Thank amazing. You. you have to understand in Europe, it's, it's, it's completely different. Like, like, I never seen someone running for, you know, being a judge or an election like that. that. That just doesn't happen. Somehow this all happens behind closed doors and I've never seen any advertising of any kind for a lawyer or anything. Never. That just doesn't exist. It's so, it's so interesting oh, wow. how, how different our worlds are. So interesting. Um, do, do you know the, the, this uh, TV series, uh, Better Call Saul? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, and I remember like the billboards and the advertisements he creates, but that's a real thing. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's it's huge, and I did that in my law practice. I was on billboards, the buses that we have here, Dallas area rapid transit, Mm. also known as DART. I was on the buses. I was on the radio. You Mm. could not get away from seeing me, and not to mention a part of campaigning. I went door to door, knocking on people's door telling them about myself. I did it for about four to five hours, four to five hours a day. So about time I got home, I, I could eat, shower and go to bed, but wake up and do it all over again. Wow. And how did people react when you knocked at their doors and say, I'm a, I want to be the new judge here? Most of the people were really excited because they already knew who I was. They said, I saw your picture on the billboard or I saw this on social media or I went to school with one of their their children or I knew someone that they knew. So they were pretty welcoming. Um, I never really got any um, someone that slammed the door in my face or attitudes Mm. or whatnot. There are certain parts of town where people tend to not want to open their doors and they'll just Mm. say, hey, leave it in the mailbox, which is still fine Mm. as long as you vote for me. So it didn't matter. Yeah, (laughs) that's nice. Did you create like a call to action and an elevator pitch? Absolutely. So, yes, I I I did it all on my own. Huh? So what did you tell people like what what was your elevator pitch if I may ask and your call to action Well it it really depended on the demographics like in certain parts in the south like I live in the southern sector of Dallas which is more mm. suburban so when I would knock on people's doors this way I would say hey I'm Vonda Bailey I'm running to be your next judge what are some things that are important for you in family court and people get to talking they'll just mm. say family law a child custody or my son is going through this my daughter is going through that mm. so that would open them up to want to talk versus me just telling them okay here I am this is what I'm going to do you know I would allow them an opportunity to speak and engage mm to see what was important to them and then tell them who I was and well, 
tell them more in depth who I was and what I was about and everything like that. In certain areas, like up north, you have to be very quick. <laughs> mm-hmm. So okay. it's like, I'm Vonda Bailey. I'm running for judge in Dallas County. I need your support. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it really depends on the demographics. And in another part of Dallas, um, it's called Garland, Texas. I would yeah. have to bring a friend with me because that was a pre- the area I went. It was predominantly Hispanic. So yeah. she would do the pitch and the introduction ah. for me. So I, I can say very li- little phrases in Spanish. Yeah. Um, and I would at least attempt. And they appreciated that, you know, to know, oh, you're trying to speak Spanish. I like that. I want to <laughs> vote for you. So it, you know, you just, it's a lot to balance, but overall it was fun. That's cool. You really have a winner's mindset. Do you, uh, do other judges that want to be elected do the same? Do they also go from door to door and come up with an elevator pitch and stuff like that? Or is it like unusual? Um, Some of them do, but from what I have been told, I ran a very, very different campaign in a different way, in a good way that they've never seen before. Like I ran an entire social media campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, I took a page right out of Barack Obama's book with campaigning Uh and fundraising (laughs) and everything like that. And if you're going to target certain areas and certain ages, you have to open yourself up to social media. You know, yeah. the the door knocking is more for the people who are up in age that don't mm-hmm. really leave their homes. But, you know, that millennial age, they need to see you on TikTok. They need to see yeah. you on Instagram. They need to see you on Facebook. So I just made sure that I was hitting all points. Wow. Wow. What, what motivated you to go to do all that? Was it like... I believe you said it. I just have a winner's mindset. When I put my mind to something and I say I'm going to do it, I never think of a plan B. I always think that I'm going to win no matter what. Even if if something goes wrong within my plan A, I just make modifications. I don't Mm -hmm. say plan B because when for me, when I do that, I'm giving myself an opportunity or an excuse to be okay with the failure. So Mm I just make modifications as needed and I'm I'm just really highly motivated. <laughs> mhm. That's cool. So, um why did you want to become a lawyer in the first place? I've uh, seen an, uh, another in- interview of yours where you mentioned that you decide like two years old as a two-year-old you already decided uh to to become a lawyer. Why why is that? Well, I've always wanted to be an an attorney. Um, I don't know if you remember the show called Perry Mason. So Mm -hmm. Perry Mason came on years ago. It was in black and white. And I used to watch it with my parents and stay up late. That was my excuse to stay up late because they didn't let us stay up late. So I would watch the show with them. And Perry Mason was such an excellent attorney in the show. Like he would crack the case. Um, you would have aha moments right there in the courtroom, which don't happen like they're exaggerated on TV, but it was just fun to look at. So it's from that time, I just always said I wanted to be an, an attorney. And I think it came naturally because my dad was in law enforcement. My mom mm-hmm. worked in the courts. I'm now married to a police officer. So I come from a background of law enforcement and it just made mm-hmm. sense. 
I see. Yeah, your your dad also uh, uh, appeared in your YouTube show, right? He did. He was my bailiff. That's cool. So why why did you start the YouTube show called Support Court? So I started the show. People were asking me when I was an attorney, probably around my third or fourth year, everyone kept asking me all these questions about child support. And it was overwhelming. I mean, my inbox was flooded. So I wanted to find a way to educate people on a massive scale and entertain at the same time. So one day I was watching Saturday TV and all of these court shows came on back to back. Mm. And I was like, divorce court, couples court, people's court, paternity court. Why isn't anyone talking about child support? So... <laughs> Um, at the time, the um, people that were helping me film the show and everything like that, I went to them and I said, hey, I got this idea. What do you guys think about filming it? And they were like, yeah, let's do it. So it literally gave birth to itself mm -hmm. once I created the show. It just took off and people were interested in it. And what I found is people had a lot more questions than what I originally thought. So now my channel is not just, you know, the, of course, entertainment has a lot to do with it, mm -hmm. but it's taken a, a form of its own where I will go live and I will talk to people on TikTok and answer their questions regarding child support and paternity and child support in a custody situation. So, mm. yeah, it, it was primarily made to educate people. I see. Um, do you do people like what what are usually their um, goals? Do, do people want to support their child or are, are they trying to avoid it? Like, what's the norm here? The vast majority of people do want to support their child. I think what happens is, is the lack of trust between the parents. So mm. you have the, because you just hear all of the things that people say out there, right? You know, mom is getting her toes and nails done with my child support. Or if the mom is the one paying child support, dad is taking the new girlfriend on trips and stuff like that. Mm. So it's a lack of trust between the parents. I think if they were able to get over that, it will be much easier for people to digest paying child support. Mm -hmm. But I do believe the vast majority of people do believe in supporting their child. I see. And can you usually help them come to better terms and find like better common ground to trust each other? Is there like a way that like maybe outside the outside of the court That's a great usually, question. Or? Usually I would recommend mediation. Um, mediation is a good place for people to not necessarily air out their grievances or anything like that, but to kind of work through an agreement because I'm under the belief if the two people can come to an agreement, they're more likely to follow the agreement versus a judge telling them what they're going to do and they're bitter about it and like no judge is going to tell me what to do. I'm just not going to listen. But I always encourage mediation and um, family therapy. Therapy is really mm. good for people that um, are going through a divorce or even just, you know, dated and had a child. Mm. 
Yeah, I think what would help in almost all cases would be if both parties would be just transparent, if they would kind of agree to being transparent and say, hey, here's here's what I'm going to do with the money and here's the proof for it and you can check it if you want so you can feel happy about it. Do people tend to do that or are they like, no, uh, rather not? Or I would have to say the latter. People don't really do that. And the reason being is because they don't necessarily have to. I think mm -hmm. if the legislation would make it to where it was um, something public where you can see what the other parent did with the money. I think we would have less issues. Reason being is because someone will actually see exactly what you're doing. So if you're not using the money for the child, the other parent is going to know. Cool. Um, did did your show influence your decision of becoming a judge, playing a judge? I don't think so, because the show came well before I even decided to run for judge. I created the show in 2018. I didn't start running for judge until 2021. Um, like I said, yeah. I... I being a judge was always something that was in the at the back of my mind because I also grew up watching Judge Judy. So mm -hmm. I said, man, you know, that wouldn't be a bad idea to do something like that later, you know, a retirement plan. But yeah, it, it came first. It was the show was first in time. I see. And will you have enough time to do to continue the show? Are you planning on continuing the show while being a judge? Is that even possible, yes. really? Yes. So I'm, I'm making modifications to the show um, where it will continue, but it'll be tweaked slightly. You'll have to stay tuned to see how that'll look. Okay. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, I always wanted to know, like, are those court shows, are they even realistic? Or do you think, like, does it even... Does it even like when I watch a show like that, is it like in real life or yeah, what's your take on that? Well, for for one, all of the shows that you watch on TV are dramatized. All of the courtroom yeah. shows are dramatized in some form or fashion. A lot of mm. the things that you see on my channel actually happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> child support court is it, it gets real in there. Like people. um I've seen fights. I've mm. seen people get kicked out of court. I mean, you see all kinds of stuff there. Um, but a lot of everything you see on these courtroom shows are dramatized. Now, are they, um, could they be based on uh, real life situations? Possibly. But for the most part, they are dramatized to entertain. And mm. um, do you watch other types of shows? That are not court shows that you also see like through a different lens. Oh yeah. Honestly, everything I watch on TV, even movies, they look mm. so different to me. Um, being behind the scenes and filming and knowing, you know, okay, stop here, we're gonna start again, cut, splice, you know, all of those things, adding the graphics. So mm -hmm. every time I watch TV, I always say something like oh, okay, yeah, that wasn't the original scene. They did something to that or, you know, it, it's it's funny because you just don't 
look at it this look at it the same. Yeah, I'm so suspicious when I watch any type of show because I like I'm an entrepreneur, so I obviously have a marketing background as well. Being kind of, I mean, my show here is part of marketing, even though it's a, a real conversation. Um, but but like when I watch, for example, the drama in, I don't know, I like the show Selling Sunset because of the oh, real yeah. estate. I I mean, for me, living in a European small town, it's amazing to see Californian or LA real estate stuff. But mm -hmm. I, I, I don't believe a single thing that happens there really, except for the prices of the real estate. It's just way too dramatic. Um. <laughs> yeah, a lot of shows yeah. are like that. But I mean, if you think about it, if they were not like that, we probably wouldn't watch it. <laughs> Yeah, it would yeah. be boring. You know, you have to have that level of drama in there and exaggeration because that brings yeah. for good views and ratings. And do you do that in your show as well? So that that you that you're like, do you, do you sit down and write a script and like, hmm, how can I add more drama to that? For the most part, we don't really just do 100% of the script. So what I do is cases mm. that I've worked on or cases that I've seen, I would give like little bullets, you know, of the different mm -hmm. things that I saw in there. And they kind of impromptu the situation as best as they can align to what information that I told them. So, mm. you know, it just it does add to the drama. And it gives people okay. a realistic view of what actually goes on in these courtrooms because courtrooms, they are open to the public. You can't record in there, right? So unless you're sitting in the courtroom to say what you saw, you really don't know what happens in there. So for somebody like me who's actually set in court and witness, you know, people throw things at each other, say all kinds of things. It's like... Oh my gosh, we have to reenact this. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Did you watch the the Amber Heard versus Johnny Depp trial? I didn't it watch the actually. whole trial. Um, I saw bits and pieces, you know, that people will post on social media. Yeah. Um, uh, and the parts that I saw that were absolutely hilarious were Johnny Depp's <laughs> facial expressions yeah. and <laughs> his his um. His attorney tripping up, I mean, a witness tripping up Amber's attorney. Those, I saw those clips and such on, um, I believe it's on TikTok. It was funny. Yeah, it was hilarious. Like when he, he was like, hearsay or it's hearsay. And then he was like, before you even, he would even finish a sentence, probably hearsay. And then, <laughs> <laughs> then he couldn't. It's, yeah, it was entertaining. Fun. Do you think it was like a real trial or like, or was it just like, stage show in an, because it's it's kind of kind of unusual for me that it was even um filmed yeah it is that really happened in court now i will say that because they are celebrities there were some parts of that that the um i don't want to say the it was a a script or anything like that but the parties were a little bit more animated than normal because they were celebrities and it was filmed um you know streaming live for the world to watch so you have to know that there were 
people will more than likely be animated. I've seen it with high profile cases here in Dallas County. Um, people tend to get a little bit more animated than they normally would. And mm-hmm. it, it helps with the ratings. I mean, although you don't want to necessarily laugh and play with people's lives and their livelihoods, yeah. it's reality. And reality is sometimes funny. <laughs> so. Oh yeah, reality is, has sometimes the weirdest stories of all. Like even yeah. I know the like I know like really I've seen really weird things in life that that no one could come up with like as a yeah, as a script. Do you think they have any gains? I mean those those people those celebrities uh, being filmed like Johnny and Amber, do do they gain from that, let's say, attention and publicity that the court brought, even though they might be portrayed in a negative way, like in this case, Amber? Absolutely. Any exposure is good exposure, even if it's negative. <laughs> Because you're going to have when, I mean, I remember when I Googled Amber literally start typing mm. AM and it finished the word like the predictive text and did heard. And then it'll say versus Johnny Depp, you know? So even though she was not the best witness or mm. character or anything like that, her popularity definitely increased. And so did their attorneys. Oh yeah. I, I think the attorneys, uh, they really gain from that. I think they become oh, yeah. more, more popular. That's really absolutely funny. more celebrities will reach out to them for yeah. them to take on their cases. It was prime example. Um, Casey Anthony, the mm-hmm. lady that was accused of killing her child. It was in Florida. The attorney that she hired, he was a newer attorney and he didn't charge her anything for that case. And he didn't have to because with him getting the not guilty, he just became the celebrity attorney after that. Wow. Yeah, it, it's some sometimes it's weird that like people get a weird kind of fame. For example, I don't know if you know the Netflix show Inventing Anna. It's oh, about yeah. a oh, Russian German She was girl a scammer. who's basically <laughs> an yeah, a scammer and and if you watch like later like interviews of her or if you look at her social media she's she's not famous and she's so popular and nobody seems to care that she's actually uh, a fraud a scammer but mm-hmm. but she still uh, like she gained a lot of popularity so it kind of it almost feels like it pays off to just do something uh, which you get a lot, a lot of attention for no matter positive or negative like you said and then you're famous and then um, you can make a lot of money and whatnot and i mean the breakthrough of social media has made all of that possible is it a bad thing i don't necessarily say so i think it's great you know it gives people the opportunity to um be creative and if if they want to create this fake persona and make money from it so be Mm -hmm. it it's just teaching people a different way of making revenue like you don't necessarily have Mm -hmm. to do a nine to five you can get on youtube or get on instagram and make people laugh or do these things and fraud people (laughs) Mm. just like the other guy the what was he his name um the swindler the twitter the twitter yeah the tinder swindler tinder swindler 
Yeah, yeah. even him. His popularity increased. When I went to his Instagram page, I just knew he was going to lose followers. No. No. Yeah. He he did not. And actually, the weirdest weirdest thing uh, is I... I par- I once kind of partied next to him. I was in a club in a nightclub in Vienna and I remember like we took funny selfies with his bodyguard this this Peter guy this this uh, bald head Peter guy and and I I remember him telling me like oh yeah the the guy here he's like a famous uh whatever son of a oligarch whatever and I was like I, I was like a bit drunk and uh, very impressed. I was like, oh, son of an oligarch. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Never seen a son of an oligarch. Uh, cool. Uh, high five. Uh, it was funny. <laughs> it was, it's, it's so funny. And, and now he's like, he, w- he went in, he went to jail for like six months or so. And then, and then like, as soon as he's out, like he drives Ferraris and Bentleys again and is on yachts. And so he kind of continues his, thing even though he does the exact same thing yeah (laughs) yeah it's it's comical you know you you can't do anything but laugh because you would think the opposite would happen he would lose popularity he would lose followers no one would want to deal with him but unfortunately that's not the type of society that we live in yeah, it's I I think there's a lot of women who think that they can kind of turn him around because they're special, maybe something like that. I yep. I don't understand the psychology. I would be like very careful, but but, but I think you know people- the media the media plays a huge role in making something that should not be popular glorified because like to your point you just mentioned i remember um remember the menendez brothers they were the two Mm -hmm. brothers that were convicted for killing their parents Mm. and if i'm not mistaken one of them got married while they were in jail they got a lot of fan mail when you think about ted bundy who was a known serial killer yeah. Had tons of fan mail, got married in prison. Yeah. I believe she had a child. Like the media glorifies these things. So when you see shows on Netflix like Twitter Swindler and Inventing Anna and talking about the Menendez brothers, people are like, oh, even though they were wrong, that's kind of cool. So let me yeah. go follow them. <laughs> yeah. And I think, oh, that I think people go like, Oh, they're 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 famous, so they must be cool, you know. Yeah. Whatever they're famous for, it's like 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 uh, Charles Manson. Um, he from the Manson family. He's like I don't know, like he he kept having like fans till his death. It's crazy. And like he especially still has fans. fans. Yeah, <laughs> and that that really stunned me. I'm like, I was like, this 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 is. Yeah, I, I don't really understand it, but okay. It's all, it's about fame. I understand it's fame and it's, you have to, you just need the attention. You just need the eyeballs and then you're good, seems mm-hmm. like. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. That's why some people choose to run naked on a football field or in a soccer match or something, because they they also kind of become famous. And I've, I've read like cases where actually people gained a lot of followers, so that's why they do it. It's yeah, it's interesting. It, it, yeah, it is very interesting because creating um, content is difficult. It's a task within itself, right? And then getting yeah. people to follow 
when you're creating that content, for me, it is super challenging. But for someone who does something like that, run on a football field nude or something, mm. they just instantly get 100,000 followers. And they haven't even done yeah. anything but run nude. So, yeah, yeah it's it's weird. It's the society we live in. Um, I can't complain about it. <laughs> it, it is what it is. Yeah, I, I'm fascinated with psychology and uh, the concept of psychopaths and sociopaths and how they function because in the business life, I uh, encounter that a lot. Um, how is that for you? Is it that like a topic for you? Are you interested in, I don't know, knowing whether you are dealing with a psychopath or sociopath or is it rather not interesting for you? It is very interesting. Um, I'm one of those people. I love watching docu-series about serial mm. killers. <laughs> yeah. Because it's just to when you talk about psychology and everything like that, just getting to the mind of a person, you want to find out like what are those triggers? What are those things that happened that got them to this point? What could have yes. happened where an intervention took place and their decision making would have been different? And I correlate that into the practice of law. And I mean, when I represented clients, I pretty much had to do that from the moment that I met a client and I'm listening to them. I'm listening for what they're not saying, the things mm -hmm. that are behind the words, because that's important to give you an idea of what could actually trigger this person. What is it that means the most to them? What do they want out of the representation for you? So when you spend time, in my opinion, really getting to understand people on that level, it helps you work better with people, in my opinion. I think a lot of times the reason why there are so many discords and everything like that amongst clients and attorneys, judges and attorneys, student and the teacher is because it's a disconnect for who that person really is. And that's not to say that you have to adapt to every single person mm. that you are, but it does require some level of awareness for you to understand that everybody's situation is not yours. You have to understand that empathy is a big deal. And yeah. you have to meet people where they're, where they're at. When they come to you, you can't try to take them too high. You literally have to meet them where they're at. So I'm very fascinated with it. Yes, I can relate to this curiosity about serial killers and stuff like that. It was very interesting that they kind of have their own, um, how can I call it, like like fairness system. So they kind of decide on weird, random things. I remember one serial killer reading about him, I think it was um, Richard Trenton Chase was his name. And I think he's from Sacramento, and like in the 70s. And he, he would like go, he would like check if doors are open. And if the door is open, he would enter and then he would just butcher the person in that apartment. And but if the door is closed, I mean locked up, then if the door is locked, then he would say, "Oh no, like why didn't you go in there?" Uh, because I'm not, I wasn't welcome there. So he would assume he would be welcome, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, in those not not 
not, not uh, locked up doors, uh, uh, apartments, and then he would butcher the people and would be welcome to do so. Whereas if the door if the door's locked, he wouldn't be welcome, so he wouldn't do it. It's very interesting. Like yeah, like, it's interesting. And and to be honest, if you take if we take ourselves out of the situation and what our beliefs are and just meet people where they are, that would make a lot of sense. Like if I literally threw common sense out of the window, right? Yeah. And got on his level and thought as he thought, okay, Adora unlocked is probably welcoming me in, right? So yeah. it's really interesting the the way the mind works of a lot of these people. Um, I've watched their interviews, um, listened to the recordings of their confessions, and the way they think is it's different, but it's not different. I think some of them have lost touch with reality a bit, but then a lot of them are extremely intelligent. Oh yeah, yeah, they're they, they are. I think Ted Bundy is quite intelligent. He oh yeah, Ted Bundy was, was a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, I, but I think he overestimated himself, uh, and I think he wanted to defend himself in front of court. I didn't, I didn't, I don't remember if he even took a lawyer. That's true. Or not. He did. He he repre- He started out with a lawyer, fired the lawyer, and represented himself. Mm. And yeah, he put on a good show as far as I remember, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and a lot of serial killers typically have that personality where they're very narcissistic yeah. and they can do everything and nobody can do anything better than them. So yeah, the, the way their minds think, it's always been interesting to me. Yeah, so if I may ask, why didn't you then become... A criminal lawyer, or or like, <laughs> why didn't you become a, a yeah a, a, want to become a judge who so that you can deal with those types types of people more? You know that's a great question. And initially, I thought that's what my career path was going to be because I was a probation officer prior to going mm. to law school, and I just knew I was going to come out of school work at the district attorney's office, but they didn't have a job available. So people started calling me with child support questions and child custody issues and divorce Mm -hmm. issues. So they started paying me and I was like, oh, I'm making money. I do have some student loans that I need to pay back. Mm, So I see family law kind of found me. And once I really got into it and started reading about it, started understanding it, the ins and outs, um, even though it's still a lot to be understood because there are some gray areas. Um, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. But the whole criminal aspect of the mind can still be used in Mm. that area because a lot of times they cross criminal and family court cross a lot of times, especially when there are situations with domestic violence, they Mm. end up crossing. So yeah, I, you know, I just stuck with family law and that's what I fell in love with. I, yeah, I, I really see how much you enjoy it. That's that's so cool to see. I love when someone's passionate about what they're doing because it's not very common. Oh no. It's really cool. Yeah. Um I I would be curious what's like can can you tell me like the weirdest case you had? Like probably I think you have a weird case that you tell all your friends, of course, anonymously or so so that but but 
I would be very curious. The weirdest case? Oh my gosh, that's a lot of uh, different cases. Um, it's hard to necessarily narrow it down. Um, but if I would say, hmm, oh my gosh, I'm sitting here thinking about all the cases. Okay, there's one that stood out to me. It was one of my very first cases that I took. So marijuana usage is illegal in the state of Texas, right? Mm -hmm. Well, in yeah. this particular county, it's not in Dallas County, it's in one of the surrounding counties. They're more strict about marijuana usage than others. So I was representing this client and I was thinking because they were telling me that the other parent used marijuana, that this was going to be a slam dunk situation. I get in front of the judge. I'm really putting on this nice argument and I mentioned the marijuana usage and the judge looked me dead in my face and said, Miss Bailey, it's just marijuana. <laughs> and I said, judge, <laughs> I was so confused. I was like, judge, it's just illegal. Like, what are we talking about here? You, this is a county that will put a parent on supervised visits where you have to have someone watching you while you visit with your children. This was a judge in that county telling me it's just marijuana. I mean, that day I knew then my law experience was going to be super fun <laughs> because the judge is telling me it's just marijuana probably this judge has lived in la before <laughs> you know what it's possible i don't know anything about his background but i, I was <laughs> stunned because any every other judge in that county that i had gone before made it very clear if any type of drug usage was involved you were getting supervised visits and he told me straight to my face it's just marijuana that's cool yeah that but that brings me to the point of like uh going back to this tv series better call saul have you met any weird uh colleagues or lawyers <laughs> attorneys that are like saul do do they exist um, in real life or is it just yes Well, they wouldn't have made that show if Saul's didn't exist. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, they do. I have come across a number of Saul's in my career. Um, I can say that most of them have been men. I don't think I've ever met a female version of Saul. Okay. So they're all Which guys. Which is really interesting. Yeah, they're all guys that I've met so far. Someone else may say they've met a female, but I've only met guys that were like Saul. I I see. So in 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 what way were they like were they like him? Um just well, definitely the marketing aspect, right? Wanting to put mm, your face yeah. over everything, but then it was the cheesiness of some of the marketing, mm. <laughs> you know, things that would get your attention, but you're like, why would you pay for that? But it, it was yeah. brilliant because it was something that was so cheesy. It made you remember it. <laughs> like I, it's so, it, it was a billboard. I seen it recently. I can't even remember what it, Oh, it was a marijuana leaf. It was a marijuana yeah. leaf. And the phone number was like, 1-800-420-LAWYERS. So in, um, I don't think it's just a Texas thing. I think it's like a 
they do it around the United States. On April 20th, that's like National Marijuana Day or something. So they call it 420. So with the lawyers having their phone number, 420 lawyers, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was, it's cheesy in a sense, but it makes sense. So someone that's driving that has a marijuana charge, they can say, oh, I'm going to call 420 lawyers. (laughs) So it's stuff like that. That's so cool. Yeah, thank you. I I enjoyed this conversation really much. Um, like as as kind of like um, a last tip, could you um, tell the audience a bit about like a lot of people are entrepreneurs and they want to grow YouTube channels. Um, can you give some of your best tips uh, about growing a YouTube channel and growing a following? Oh, absolutely. The first thing I would say is be consistent. Whatever it is that you're going to do, like if you're going to post on a certain time at a certain time on a certain day of the week, whatever, just be consistent with that. Be honest with your audience. The worst thing you can do is lie to your audience because they're going to know it Mm. and they're not going to appreciate it. Um, Be creative with content. I cannot stress that enough. Be original. Like, don't take someone else's content and then try to make it your own. I understand people do these reaction videos and such, but a lot Mm. of times when they're doing these reaction videos, they're really not giving credit to the original person. The reason Mm. why that's important that you do it is because you're trying to grow a following off of you and what you do, not off of someone else's work. So if you're doing a reaction video to someone else's work that you didn't give credit to, all people are going to do is go to the original person that created the content. So make sure you're being very original and honest. Uh, Like I said, consistent. I'm trying to think of something else. Um, And be patient. It's not going to happen overnight. I just hit 250,000 subscribers on yesterday. Um, I would have been a lot. Thank you. Thank you. I would have been a lot further along than that, but I had a, another child. I had a second child and I had a lot of health related issues with that. So I didn't post for about a year or two years. Mm. So it stunted my page. One thing I think I would have done different was actually told my followers what was going Mm. on. Not necessarily go into too much you know, the personal of what was going on with me, but let them know, you know, I had a child, I have um, postpartum and issues related to postpartum. So I haven't been posting Mm. in a while. I think that would have still grown my page versus it, you know, stopping a little bit. So Mm. those are the the best things I can say about growing your um, following on YouTube or any social media platform, but they are different. Although they're all social media, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, everything Mm. is different about each one of them. So all of the advice that I just gave you, they those work across the board. But you literally have to spend Mm -hmm. time getting to know and understand each one of those platforms because they they are different and they operate totally different, especially with algorithms. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's hard to grow an Instagram with pictures. Uh, the best way to grow an Instagram is actually posting a lot of videos on TikTok and then point to Instagram and tell them, tell people to follow you on Instagram. It's exactly very interesting. The, the reels. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah the, the reels. reels. And, Absolutely. And you even have to be careful with that sometimes because TikTok, Instagram doesn't like the TikTok logo on the videos. Ah, <laughs> so yeah. sometimes that can slow down your monetization. So you, it's really like a hit or miss. <laughs> mm. <laughs> this is crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, Vonda, thank you so much for your time. I I really enjoyed the conversation. Um, if someone wants to follow you, learn more about you, um, how can they reach you the best and find you? Absolutely. My YouTube channel is Support Court with Judge Vonda B. I'm on all uh, social media platforms. So on Facebook, you can find me on Support Court with Judge Vonda B. My personal page is public. Um, under Vonda Bailey Shaw, Instagram, Judge Vonda B, TikTok, Judge Vonda B. Thank you so much, Vonda B. <laughs> it was Thank great. Thank you.